Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. I am Mark Ellis, who almost went to a Dodger game last night, thanks to our incredible engineer, Brian Perez. I said no. I said no, couldn't do it, had stand-up going on, but what what a sweet gentleman to invite me. Uh, Jacqueline Coley is also the host of this show, Rotten Tomatoes. Jacqueline, the last time we could have seen you at a professional sporting event was when? The last time you would have seen me at a professional sporting event. Yeah. Maybe a Mavs game? Oh, oh no, wow. Texas Rangers. Texas Rangers opening day 2020. Okay, okay. No, 2019, before the pandemic. That works. All right. Yeah. I like a I like a good baseball game, but everybody missed a great moment a few weeks ago in the NBA finals when the the Warriors hit a big three and then they panned to the crowd. And there's this poor guy, this guy, and I think it's his wife and they're celebrating. But then he goes to high five his wife with both hands. He went in with both hands and the wife had turned away. And so he was left hanging, not just a high five hanging, but a high 10 hanging. And it kind of made the rounds on the sports talk shows the next day. Aww. Like, how do you patch things up as a couple? It, going to sports be- games as couples, it's a, it's a, you could get on kiss cam. There's a lot of risk is all I'm saying. So, so did she turn away from him on purpose or was it just like she happened to turn away? Uh, she happened to turn away, but it didn't look good. It didn't look good for the relationship is all I'm going to say. It's like, dude, I used you to get these tickets and now I'm just going to see my options. So it Aww. didn't look. Yeah. I, I don't know where they are now, now that the NBA finals has passed, but what is ongoing and what seems to probably be occurring for the next few decades at the very least is the MCU. That stands for Marvel Cinematic Universe, kids. And now they're not just movies. They're streaming TV shows doing boffo business, if not box office, because you can catch all these shows that debuted with WandaVision. I remember back at D23, the big Disney convention, where they unleash all of their new, exciting products and what's coming out in years to come. They said WandaVision, and they gave the pitch, and it's like, what the hell is this thing about? It was a left turn for sure, but it ended up paying off. And then ever since, we've gotten your uh, Hawkeye show, you got Loki, you got Moon Knight, and you got Falcon of the Winter Soldier, and now we just had Miss Marvel do an impressive run. She-Hulk coming out in August on Disney+. Plus. So we're going to be talking about all of these streaming shows that have completed as of this recording. And so I'm going to run down what the tomato meter says about these programs. And then we have a very special guest with us who's going to debate whether Rotten Tomatoes got this order right or wrong. These are all really fresh. They're really, really surprisingly so. So at number one, it's a tie between Loki and Hawkeye, both of whom are 92 percent 
certified fresh. So we're going to make Loki number one because it's got more reviews than Hawkeye. Loki's one, Hawkeye's 1A, both at 92%. And then you have WandaVision falling off a cliff all the way down to 91% certified fresh. So that's pretty impressive. Moon Knight is in the third position or fourth, depending on how you want to rate it, at 86% certified fresh. And then bringing up the rear as of right now is the Falcon and the Winter Soldier at 83% certified fresh. So Jacqueline, we're dealing with a lot of A's and B's. These shows can probably get into an Ivy League school, at least like Dartmouth or Brown, right? Yes, they absolutely can. And I don't believe that these are actually by our adjusted score. So this Ah. is just this is just I think we sort of decided, but definitely ranked. But just want to clarify on people. These are not based on our Rotten Tomatoes adjusted ranking score. But hey, man, I think it's a fairly accurate representation of the way critics felt about it. I think the fans might disagree with some of these rankings, but I'm digging it. That's what we're here to talk about. Tim Ryan might have some uh, updated uh, tomato meter figures for us. But in the meantime, it is a privilege to welcome. I can't believe it's we've almost done 100 of these things. It's the very first time that our good buddy Matt Ramos, a.k.a. Soups, is joining us, an entertainment journalist, a host. You know him from his incredible YouTube channel, social media presence. And now Soups is joining the show. Maddie, it, it is so good to, to see and talk to you. Just before I ask you this, this question about Rotten Tomatoes being wrong or being right about the order of these MCU shows. What does it do for you, a lifelong comic book fan, seeing these stuff on the big screen, but now also having access to these storytelling on the small screen? How exciting is it to be you having all these shows coming out one after another? I mean, Mark, you kind of referenced this earlier. We were both in that room in D23 when Marvel had their yeah. Disney Plus panel and Kevin Feige walked out on stage and he brought out the cast of WandaVision, Loki, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and then went on to announce Miss Marvel, She-Hulk, Moon Knight. The energy in that building was electrifying. And rightfully so, because as great as the MCU movies are, now Disney Plus has given us the opportunity to enjoy this amazing content on a weekly basis. Like, it's crazy to me that right now we are in the, we are amidst between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Miss Marvel coming out on the same day. Like, it's just, it's so much all at once, but that's, I guess that's the opportunity that Disney Plus has provided us. And it just gives us more content to enjoy and to see characters like Kamala Khan, to see characters like Moon Knight brought to life in the MCU through these shows. It's been pretty damn awesome to see. It's it's almost too much to watch. And then you wake up and you check on Twitter and nope, everybody's watched it and they're already mm-hmm. talking about it. So you better get on board with those spoilers. And so I'm going to give you that that rundown one more time because Loki and Hawkeye tied at one. WandaVision right behind it, Moon Knight right behind that, and then the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about just that ranking of the MCU shows? For your personal taste, Soups, how different would yours be? Or is Rotten Tomatoes right? I could definitely understand this ranking. And I'm glad that all of these shows are are rated. They have a fresh rating. You know, they're all certified fresh. And that's and that's a that's a great thing because I think every single one of these shows is good and none of them are no one can define any of these shows as bad. However, there is some major disrespect on this list to Moon Knight. I think <laughs> Moon Knight is the best Marvel Disney Plus series. And right under Moon Knight, I have Loki, which is at the top of this list. And I actually have Hawkeye at the bottom of my list. Okay. So I have Moon Knight at the top, Hawkeye at the bottom. And, you know, right here we have Falcon and the Winter Soldier certified at 83% certified fresh. And... I have a problem with that because I I do think that the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is the most underrated 
Marvel Disney Plus show by far. I think it has aged pretty well. It's very rewatchable. And I think it's about time we give the Falcon and the Winter Soldier its flowers because that was a damn good show. And I think it's pretty underrated. Okay, I mean, it, it might be a at least a like fest here, Jacqueline, because I don't think we're going to bring a lot of hate for any of these shows necessarily. I also really like What If, but if you're looking at this, do you think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong about the rating of these shows? A little bit. Um, WandaVision is just an exceptional piece of television, and I'm sorry, it should be number one all the way through. It's not even a question of whether it's a good superhero show. It's a great piece of television. That's why it was nominated for an Emmy, and so was Elizabeth Olsen. But, or sorry, I believe actually Elizabeth Olsen got snubbed, and it was Paul Bettany. Don't, 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 uh, don't hit me up on that. I'm a film Someone awards in the editor. Couple. Someone in the couple got nominated. One of them didn't. Anyway, the whole point being is. I think that one is just incredible. It, you know, definitely was a show that people loved. And I don't think people realized just the immense task that it had to do, mm-hmm. being as it wasn't even supposed to be the first one out of the gate. And it managed to still be, in my opinion, the best. So mm-hmm. I would definitely put that higher. I do think Loki would definitely be probably my number two. And then it's a tie for third. Pick them. They can do a battle royale, as I like to say. I'm easy to rank the top. After that, they all kind of wash together in a Right mood, I might say Moon Knight. In the right mood, I might say Falcon and the Winter Soldier or Hawkeye. It just depends. Yeah, I, I think Rotten Tomatoes is kind of right and kind of very wrong here because I actually have Loki as my least favorite. Uh, there's things I can enjoy about it for sure, but I have Loki uh, at that bottom position. But I do have Hawkeye at the top. I just maybe it's when I came across Hawkeye, I just enjoyed that adventure. And maybe I liked Hawkeye because I just felt like I could just put it on and watch it and I didn't have to digest too much of the, the connective tissue linking stories in the MCU. But I also wanted to give a shout out to what if and even go back to agents of yes. shield just because these are also technically uh, you know shows that came out under the banner of at least marvel television but we're just ranking our phase four mcu tv shows that have been completed as of this recording just so everyone knows and doesn't yell at us about where's miss marvel where's she hulk we're gonna get to them eventually i promise you but right now where we are is our favorite segment because we take a break from talking and we turn it over to our expert review curation manager here at Rotten Tomatoes, Tim Ryan, who is going to tell us what the critics were and I guess are saying about these MCU TV shows. Timmy, take it away. Two minutes with Tim. We could spend all day talking about Marvel television series. So right off the bat, apologies to Lou Ferrigno, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Daredevil, and my faves, Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, among many others. This quick tomato meter rundown is going to focus exclusively on the MCU's Phase 4 TV series. The too long didn't read version is each of them are certified fresh and each has an audience score that's separated from the critic score by a single digit. Let's do this. WandaVision is certified fresh at 91% on the tomato meter and it has an 88% audience score. Falcon and the Winter Soldier is certified fresh at 83% and it has an 84% audience score. Loki is certified fresh at 92% and it has a 91% audience score. What If is certified fresh at 94% and has a 94% audience score. And just like Loki, Hawkeye is also certified fresh at 92% and also has a 91% audience score. And finally, Moon Knight is certified fresh at 86% and has a 92% audience score. Given that we're talking about six different shows, it's impossible to get an overall flavor of the critical consensus from a couple reviews. But here goes anyway. In a fresh review for Loki, Josh Wilding of comicbookmovie.com writes, 
Nothing can prepare you for Loki, a mind-bending dive into the Marvel multiverse that takes everything you thought you knew about the MCU and turns it on its head for one of the most ambitious, craziest stories Marvel Studios has ever told. However, in a rotten review of Moon Knight, Chris Wasser of Ireland's Sunday Independent wrote, The rickety action sequences paired with questionable CGI, drippy horror, terrible jokes, a shoddily assembled mystery, and one too many rounds of over-the-top violence combine to make Moon Knight an unfortunate dud on the Marvel roster. So those are the Phase 4 MCU series. Let's kick it back to Jacqueline and Mark, two people who perpetually ask themselves, what are we looking at here? Is it an alternate reality? Some cockamamie social experiment? The answer is, it's a podcast. Back to you folks. It certainly is a podcast, or at least that's the goal each and every week, and we strive to get as close to that as possible. So let's shift gears right into, I guess for this week, TV talk. All right, Soups. I mean, we, we heard the highs and the lows as far as the, the critics' consensus and some of the critical response to these MCU TV shows. Before we get into specifics about why a show is your favorite or least favorite, I have a question that's very general and you can take it any way you want to. Is there a world in which you actually prefer watching a couple of these TV shows to the movies themselves, or do you hold the movies as, okay, those are the ones that I love, and then it's nice to have these supplemental episodes in between movie releases? Yeah, for sure. I still think that the mo- now that we have the Disney Plus shows to keep us busy for the majority of the year, I actually think it's elevated our appreciation for the movies. Because now when we get to the movies, you know, I just think there are the, the movies that we've gotten in Phase 4 have been on a much bigger scale. And I, I don't know. I think, yeah, I, I do think that the shows, the fact that now we have the majority of, of the year consuming these shows, it's elevated the movies because I do think the movies are just more enjoyable than the shows. Not to say that the shows aren't enjoyable because they, they are, but I, I do find the, the, I do still find the movies more enjoyable than the shows. Yeah, Jacqueline, do you get up for the for the TV shows as much as the movies or do you feel I mean, I think I'm kind of on Matt's wavelength where it's like the, the movies just feel like such an event where yeah. it's it, it's like the, the song in Annie where you're like singing about going to the movies because you're that excited as opposed to like like in Annie, there's never a song like let's all sit down on the couch and stream a show. That That's how I feel. How about you, Jacqueline? Yeah, I mean, look, I I maybe prescribe to the more cinephile thing of like, I feel there's a bit of permanence to seeing a movie in the movie theater. You develop memories around them because you yeah. actually had to like buy the ticket, go to the theater, probably bring someone with you so they're attached to your viewing of it. Um, whereas then if you're watching it at home, they can all kind of run together. And I do think it's telling that I love all of these shows and I've seen at least more than half of each of them. I've not seen all of them all the way through. And I think that's because, yeah, I, but I've seen every single Marvel movie since Iron Man. So, and I've seen every single one of them in a theater. I think that that right there is the the real dichotomy of it and, and that lack of, I would say, tangibility to it. Because I remember Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I did Q&As for it. I talked to the cast and the filmmakers. But if you asked me to walk down that plot point by point, bullet by bullet, it would take me a little bit. But if you ask me to give you the plot of Doctor Strange, I can give it to you tomorrow. <laughs> like, I can give it to you right now. You know what I mean? It, it's It's just like it doesn't stay with you as long. I, I do like that we have time to get our hands dirty into a story, Matt, with the, the multiple episodes, the longer running time. So if you're looking at your favorite one of these phase four MCU shows, why is that one your favorite? What 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 about it makes it stand above the rest? 
For me, Moon Knight has been my favorite Marvel Disney Plus shows, and there's multiple reasons. First off, I think Oscar Isaac is just a larger-than-life actor, and he's just had such a great run in 2022, 2021. And now that he's coming over into the MCU, like this was a great debut for him to, to enter the MCU. He just gave a phenomenal performance playing multiple characters, got us to care about Steven as like almost like... We, Steven was like our little child and we got to see him grow up throughout the series. <laughs> and then we also had Mark. And now by the end of the series, spoilers, we have Jake Lockley, who the series teed up very, very nicely. So I also think a huge part of these shows is, is the way they stick the landing, the way they end. And I think there was a lot of worry amongst a lot of people after Moon Knight episode five, because it might not have particularly set up the final episode to, to be, I guess, satisfying but th that final episode was very satisfying and there were a lot of payoffs we had freaking cgi egyptian gods fighting each other steven was kicking ass as mr knight i absolutely love the finale of this show and it, again it also gave us that jake lockley payoff which a lot of us ha had been wanting but i think at the core of why i believe moon knight is the best disney plus show is because moon well, all of the disney plus shows that we got previous to moon knight the main protagonist was a side character that wasn't big enough to have their own movie. Wanda, after WandaVision, now she's big enough to have her own movie. Loki, he, he I don't think Loki was a character that was big enough to have his own film. Oh, Same disagree. Sorry. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to put some shade on you on that one. Nah. Sorry. No, sir. Nah. He could have had a movie. He could have had I, a movie. I don't think so. I don't think Hawkeye was big enough to have had his own movie. But I think Moon Knight is a character that you look at and you think, man, he should probably have a movie over a Disney Plus series because Moon Knight is that big of a character. But instead, we got a Moon Knight Disney Plus series and it was a great experience and I thought it was a great way to introduce the character into the MCU. So I th that's why I have Moon Knight at my number one. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. I'll, I'll, I'll meet y'all halfway, Jacqueline, because I feel like Loki is, is a big enough character to have his own movie, but I feel like the story that you're telling in this Loki TV show, no way you're pulling that off in, in one movie, which is why I think a lot of folks appreciate particularly that show and the freedom that the streaming format afforded it is to take your time with bending the literal time and the universe. Real quickly, to touch up on Moon Knight, though, I feel like the sense of humor in Moon Knight doesn't get enough run because I do think that there's a lot of good, it, it's not overt jokes in there. It's more like a, you're just following along this poor bastard, Mark Spector, and you know everything that, that his 
sort of job entails and, and he's living these, he's got to pull off this sort of double duty and seeing that play out. And I also give a shout out to uh, Mae Kalamawai, who's just yes. awesome yes. as uh, as Layla and, and how much more her story, his, her story unfolds. And and then obviously seeing Ethan Hawke as, as Arthur Harrow. I, I, I think that that show brought a, a different element to the MCU. But I, I do want to jump onto this Loki thing now because Jacqueline, the thing about the Loki show to me is that you know how I feel about multiverses. You know how I feel about time bending. I get that Loki opens up and it just blows every everything in the MCU out of the water. I don't want that. I At some point, I need you to ex- establish what the universe is, what the limits are. And then that's the sandbox we have to play in. And it seems like with Loki, it's just an excuse to infinitely move the goalpost so that we can cram as much stuff into the MCU as possible. And I just it's too much for my pea brain to comprehend. Um, I don't, is it Mark? Yes, you are weird. It it's, it's so weird. I feel like Mark Pulse Multiverse is just fully embracing <laughs> his like guys at the top of the Muppets. Like, uh, what are their names? Uh, Statler and Waldorf, and yes, yeah. Like you are very that now because the multiverse. I really feel you were like, did we have to? It's like just I just so much work. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I love I'm it. already, you know, soups. I'm already trying to placate the MCU with, with, and I love the Guardians movies, and I love Thor being on Asgard. And so it's like, look, we're allowing for different planets and universes to be in this one sort of Marvel Cinematic umbrella. But now we got, now we're bending time too, and we've controlled all this. I, I hate oh, knowing yeah. that there were people that knew how everything played out in Endgame. But like before we that just bothers me and I, and yeah. I can't get over it. Am I maybe I am just a simpleton or maybe I'm just a maybe I just turned into a curmudgeon. I, I don't know, but I, I cannot get behind Loki as a narrative. The performances are great. Great seeing Tom Hiddleston. Great seeing Owen Wilson. Can't get behind that story, though. Actually, I, I really enjoyed Loki's story. I, again, I think a, a lot my for me personally, my enjoyment of a lot of, a lot of these Disney Plus shows is the journey that they take us on and the way they stick the landing of that journey. And with with all of the theories going on on us potentially seeing Kang in the show, us seeing Jonathan Majors in that finale was awesome. And he completely stole that episode. And I think the Loki show, because this was a show that was designed to have multiple seasons, unlike the other Disney Plus shows, I think it was written and they told the story a certain way for a reason. You know, this show was our introduction to variants to essentially like the multiverse being born in a way by the end with Loki killing he who or with Sylvie killing he who remains. And then us seeing Richard E. Grant, the other Lokis, alligator Loki, like the the timekeepers, like there was so much to enjoy with this series. And I think the, the one of the best parts about it is that it did such a great job at building the world and introducing us to this lore, going into Spider-Man No Way Home, going into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I think that's the thing for me, Jack, is that the multiverse and then knowing that there's these keepers of time, it makes everything that I've experienced in the movies feel a little less important and dramatic, knowing that we kind of already knew this is the way it was going to go. And so for whatever reason, I feel like, you know, I still have those moments in the theater where I was lucky enough to be at the premiere of Endgame and it was like stadium seating at the L.A. Convention <laughs> Center and you had the, the the air conditioning blowing on you like you were outside at Soldier Field in the summer. But it just it's like, oh, they already knew this was going to happen. Yeah, I don't know. It just kind of dulls the impact for me. 
I I was there also at the LAV Convention Center because the thing about Endgame, you could just tell that Marvel was like, no, nah, we doing it all. We, we're not yeah. holding anything yeah. back. Star Wars put a death, put the Millennium Falcon on Hollywood. Well, we're going to take up a convention center, kids. Let's go. Uh, yeah, no, there is a certain aspect. And I will give you this, Mark. Once you did that big spectacle, there's a certain aspect of the MCU that has to go and get smaller like they did with Iron Man for a while for Mm -hmm. them to get to another bit of spectacle. So I think the interesting thing with the multiverse and the thing I hope you will just think about when you start to get your that curmudgeonness rising in you, (laughs) like when you feel the fury coming, like just take this moment of centering and own this emotion. Like, let me do a little gentle parenting here. This is the only way that we can really go because if they don't make it weird and small, this is going to be so unwieldy soon that we can't deal with it. Like this chaos that you hate right now and the tension headache that it's giving you is so that you can still enjoy these films in 10 years because they really do need something like that to fix the fact that they made it 10. Like like basically once you got to Endgame, they hadn't written anything after that. And so they put this multiverse device out there to sort of create a parachute after they had already jumped out of the plane. And so we're currently in the terrifying moments of riding the parachute before we splat on the ground. And so, like, I feel your curmudgeon moment in this, but just understand if they didn't throw us out of the plane with this weird little multiverse magic key, we would have just been sitting up there with Endgame and trying to chase that high like a drug addict. And we know that doesn't work. Okay, thanks for putting it that way. Now, now I feel like Tom Cruise in The Mummy who's screaming like like <laughs> when the plane is going down. I'm just looking for the last parachute to pull. I will say, though, it, it, if nothing else, stuff like Loki and even WandaVision to a degree, I, I so appreciated WandaVision for having the bold stroke of genius to take that left turn and and to kind of subvert expectations as to what you could get in a you know comic book TV show. I thought it was brilliant in that regard. But I also really like Hawkeye and that the Hawkeye is my favorite, Matt, simply because it is just that smaller story where we just have this little thing and there's a superhero kind of finding their wings with Haley Steinfeld's character. And I yeah. like the team up. I like that Christmas feel to it. And we did get some fun, though. I mean, we got to see, you know, Kingpin pop in. And so th- th- there's a lot of cool stuff in Hawkeye. And I, I like the the sense of humor was more on the nose there. So Hawkeye, I think, was more right up my alley as somebody who loves buddy action flicks. But you said that I, I think that might be your least favorite. Yeah, Hawkeye is my least favorite. But like you said, like, I just I, I agree with everything you just said, like seeing Hawkeye kind of deal with the PTSD and fallout of Endgame and his time as Ronan. Yeah. That was awesome to see. And I thought that did a great job developing Clint's character. Then getting Haley Steinfeld, Kate Bishop was so awesome and so lovable in that show. And I cannot wait to see what else they have in store for Kate Bishop, because she was so awesome in the show. And uh, that that kind of buddy cop style of storytelling with the Hawkeye show set in Christmas with Hawkeye trying to finish this all up so like that he can he can get back home to his family for Christmas then we also got Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin there was a lot to enjoy that Hawkeye series for me where the series kind of I guess dipped is I just think in the finale like there was such a build-up to Kingpin and I think having having known Kingpin to be what he is in the Netflix Daredevil show compared to what he was in the Hawkeye finale. I just think there's a discrepancy there. And I I just, I didn't like 
the way they portrayed Kingpin in that, that finale. But I'm still very excited for that Daredevil Disney Plus series that's on the horizon. I'm very excited for Echo. And I think Echo is another great part of the series that not many pe- people talk about. Seeing her introduction because she's going to have her own Disney Plus series. Um, Yelena. Yelena was awesome in this. So, yeah, Hawkeye, Hawkeye was definitely a very enjoyable Disney Plus series. But for me, I just enjoyed the other ones more than this one. I think it does prove just how much of maybe a, a purist or a mainstream consumer I am of this stuff, Jacqueline, is because I think that the the TV show's best service can be introduce a new character that will one day get the big screen treatment, like a Kate Bishop, Haley Steinfeld's character. Where did Jacqueline Coley stand on Hawkeye? I just, okay, I don't want to say this because I love Haley. I really do love Haley. And the okay. series had a lot going with it. But Hawkeye very much felt like a series that kept trying to apologize for existing. And I didn't like that. Like it kept feeling like, yeah, we know you don't really want to spend your time with this character, what? but we promise he's worth it. You know what I mean? Like it seemed like it was too in on that joke. Look, we know he's not famous enough to get his own movie. Just let him have a TV show. Yeah. Exactly. We'll and that honestly to me kind of did a disservice. Like the thing with Hawkeye is they kind of did the thing they had to do with Gal Gadot in the first Wonder Woman. This character's cringe factor is so high, you just have to lean into it. Otherwise, people aren't going to believe the premise, which I do think is correct. You have to lean into the fact that he just has a bow and arrow and he's, you know, literally running around with gods. But I just feel like they didn't move away from that enough to be like, he was still cool killer Ronan, dude. Like, let's like own that this dude has some edge to him. And like, like he... It's almost like they made Hawkeye different things in these movies and in the show they just wanted to keep him the guy on the farm in Civil War. I think he wants to be the guy on the farm in Civil War. I, I think after he's all he's not, been through, though. He's, he's not, like, though. And he's a much I, more interesting character when you realize that he was the guy that went and murked a bunch of people because of the fact that he was so obsessed about being in the farm. That is the Hawkeye character that I would like to see a show about. And they just ran away from it in every way. Yeah, and, and maybe it is just the family angle that it took place at Christmas. They're like, okay, well, let's have Kingpin, but not like that Kingpin. And let's have Hawkeye, but let's just have it like a, a nicer, gentler. Maybe I'd be, I'm becoming a family man right before... <laughs> everyone's eyes. Mark Ellis rated PG in theaters this Christmas. Jacqueline, you said that you loved WandaVision, that, that you feel like WandaVision yeah. is worthy of the awards that it has won. It is great television. What is the Jacqueline Coley sales pitch for why WandaVision should be the best show in the MCU uh, for? Let me borrow a word that if you are careful on the internet, you can find a long running clip of her saying it over and over again. And I am going to quote the late, great Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, not the late, great. The very great and currently still living Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> Come on, Laurie Strode. <laughs> Laurie Strode. Trauma. It's trauma, uh. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> It is the T word. It is the thing that I live for. Give me a broken woman on the edge of destruction and looking to destroy the world that broke her. And I am in from Billy Wilder in the apartment to Bridget Jones, <laughs> everywhere in his shaver phone. Give me broken women. I love broken women. I love watching them pit themselves back together. And I like watching them be as messy as possible. Meredith Grey, early seasons. I'm talking to you. So, yeah, it's the trauma. It's the fact that that Marvel really for once took what happens to these people, not these superheroes, these people. And what does that do to these people who have the trauma of everyone else 
but the superpowers of gods. And where does that lead? And what scary things do they have to deal with within their own mind that are just as terrifying and bizarre as the realistic things? And the best part of that was, is you didn't even realize that was what you were watching until like chapter seven. Like this was another just great bait and switch is that we were literally watching the longest grief march in the history of television and you didn't clock it until the movie, the show was halfway over. Because it was just coded in this three camera sitcom setup and then also like this leave it to beaver kind of feel. But then you have what I think that these streaming shows do best, Matt, is they are able to take a feeling, a line a thought from one of the movies and really extrapolate it. And so when we talk about the PTSD that a lot of these superheroes would probably feel, and, and we see it in shows that can be a little more, how should I say, visceral about it with like the boys, you know? But with with WandaVision, it reminded me of that line in Iron Man 3 when Tony and Rhodey are bonding, as, as bros do, at Hooters, and they're having that conversation. And he said, and Tony says, nothing's been the same since New York. And, and he's kind of hinting that he's having some real issues mentally, emotionally, about who he is and who he's become and what he's had to do since he's become a superhero. And then just to watch that play out in WandaVision, it's extraordinary. And Jacqueline's right. It was one of the bigger twists that we got in that very first show. And so WandaVision for you, because again, this is the first one. So watching WandaVision before any of these other ones came along, what was your thought at the time about what the MCU TV shows are doing and setting up for the future? Well, I thought WandaVision, I mean, looking back now, things have just not been the same since WandaVision. (laughs) The WandaVision experience was something that just hasn't been replicated. No show has come close to that. And that's not to say that the other shows just aren't good. It's just to say that the WandaVision experience was something else. You know, I thought stylistically, this was such a switch up from everything that the MCU had done in phases one, two, and three. Having the show be a sitcom, the way it was structured, the way it was structured, the acting performances from Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany was a massive standout. And I don't think a Disney Plus show has elevated a character the way WandaVision elevated Wanda. Prior to WandaVision, Wanda was a badass in Age of Ultron, Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame. But after WandaVision, that was like the birth of that was the birth of the Wanda stance. And when Wanda when Wanda was shown in the trailer for Multiverse of Madness in theaters with Spider-Man No Way Home, there's a reason everyone in the theater went crazy when they saw Wanda, because it was and it was because it was because of WandaVision. WandaVision completely just just elevated that character to a whole nother level while also introducing those sitcom vibes. And I thought it was written pr- very well. Monica Rambeau was a great part of the series as well for me personally. She's one of my fav- favorite new phase four characters that are now like introduced in the MCU. Jimmy Woo, come on now, Woo Army. <laughs> and we also get to see like just how much Wanda cares about preserving this version of herself. And then obviously yeah. we see the negative effects that can have with Multiverse of Madness. And so, yeah, we're going to talk about Doctor Strange too now, folks, too. So buckle up because this was sort of the litmus test is can you have a character that we know from the movies now lead a show that that is very different and very not your conventional TV show? And then can we take what happened in that show and put it back into movies? And I think that from that standpoint, I think that the experiment did work. I wasn't the biggest Multiverse of Madness fan by any stretch of the imagination, but seeing that a character can go through that arc on the small screen and then have us all just kind of 
being able to have that information, walking it to the big screen. Jacqueline, does that do more for the MCU for you that we can have these stories told and then we can put it back onto the big screen? Or does it just make you feel how I feel sometimes where it's like, now you're just giving me so much homework before every one of these movies comes out that it's just more work for me. I mean, I think yes and no. I think it just depends on how immersive of an MCU fan you want to be. The one thing I will say for anyone that's like, oh, um, well, I feel like I need to like watch. No, you don't. There's YouTube. You can watch one 10 minute video and you will know what you need to do. Like that is the joke of jokes. I'm like, y'all ain't watching the whole series. You're watching a YouTube video. People like Matt have made an entire industry about getting you caught up before you go see a movie. You're you should fine. see our conversations when we get to see each other in the red carpet going into <laughs> one of these things. I just talked to Matt for like five. I'm like, hey, man, it just what's the prep for this one? Yeah, just help exactly. me out a little bit. Trust me, you have someone in your life that can get you deed up. So that's not really an issue. <laughs> However, I do think when you think about this, it's sort of like a long running book series. Like we're now yeah. getting into like the alphabet series where they have to be careful how self-referential they want to be. And I do think this next phase, you're going to see a lot more folks come on the scene that look more like the introduction of everyone after Captain America, where there may be slight Easter eggs to what part of this universe they are in and other things that have happened within it. But it does not mean that it is going to be as contingent. They kind of have to make this first part very contingent so they can expand later. Because think about it this way. At the beginning of, say... Black Panther, when you meet Ulysses Claw and he talks, I'm sorry, in the middle of uh, Age of Ultron, when you meet Ulysses Claw and it sort of sets up Black Panther, you just get introduced to that guy. And there's little Easter eggs as to what he's going to be and how he's going to be, but you don't know anything else. Now, looking back on it, it looks like this grand sweeping plan. So I think they're going to be less backwards referential and more forwards referential. And then it will be a little bit better because I do think keeping them so incestuous like this is going to be problematic going forward. All right. So as we look forward to more MCU streaming shows, like we said, Miss Marvel currently going through its run soups. And then we have She-Hulk coming out. We have a few more shows that have been announced. So as we look to the future of the landscape here with the streaming shows, is there one that you're like, that's the one that I got by that's, that's the one that's going to take this to the next level. That could be my new favorite show of all of them. Yeah, I mean, I think Matt has his answer better, but I will tell you this. I loved everything in the Netflix Daredevil shows, save anything that involved Iron Fist. Yeah, I'm going to be basic that way. Everybody had issues with Iron Fist, but whatever. (laughs) Uh, It is what it is. I think I'm going to be interested to see what they do with those characters and how they Mm -hmm. do those characters forward. I'm not saying that it is going to be the greatest show ever, but I guarantee you if they mess it up, they will they will create a villain in me like that will be my villain origin story. If they mess up the brilliance of Jessica James is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite MCU shows. It was so smartly written. Daredevil, Luke Cage, like. No, Jacqueline, I 100% agree with you. Like, like you cannot bring back these characters from such a beloved show arguably you know it's talked about as one of the greatest superhero shows of all time yeah so i don't think you can bring back vincent d'onofrio as kingpin charlie cox as matt murdoch for a show that just is watered down and yeah. just doesn't do these characters justice i feel like a lot of fans will be disappointed with that so yeah i mean i'm right with there with you like daredevil the daredevil marvel disney plus series is definitely my most anticipated upcoming disney plus show 
because you have all of those different characters coming back, and I love Matt Murdock, and I love Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio, and I think is that Echo, the fear y'all have? Really quick, not to cut you off, Soups. Is that the fear that y'all had stemming maybe from Hawkeye? Is is that you don't want that version of Kingpin in the in whatever the the Disney version of your you know Luke Cage and your Jessica Jones and your Daredevils are? Matt, you can answer this one because I have a different take on that. I know, but go ahead. Like, what do you think on this one? Do you think that this is going to be going that way going forward? Yeah, I mean, I do think they're softly rebooting the characters to kind of like Disneyfy them because I don't think Disney's going to have Vincent D'Onofrio smashing guys that in like the the corner of a truck, the truck door. See, I disagree. I'm I don't, the I don't think they're. I think I don't think they're going to go that dark. I mean, for Moon Knight, they were saying like we're not holding back. You know, <laughs> this is going as like, I think Moon Knight was as dark as they're probably willing to go. And I think it's going to be the same thing with the Daredevil series. See, I, I hope I'm wrong. But I think you're wrong just, because of the Fox acquisition. The reason why I say that, the Fox acquisition already changed Disney Plus. It already changed Disney uh, significantly because they can no longer sort of cordon off their non-family friendly entertainment and be, be a global brand. Disney realized very quickly, if they keep marketing themselves as the kids channel, they are not going to be able to reach the global audience they want to receive on Disney+. And if you look at Disney+, and what it has, they have National Geographic, they have a lot of stuff, and they have all the Fox old catalogs, including Hugh Jackman's butt and Wolverine. They have all of the stuff from those Netflix shows is go- is already on Disney Plus right it's a now. Good tookus. Good so I actually think they're using these series as a way to gateway folks into this more adult content because I think they know they need to grow up. And this is one of the few series that if they go dark in them, people aren't going to think of it as a left turn. They're just going to be like, oh, this is just them continuing this path. And so then when they do it with another property later, it's going to be like, well, this was already the path that they were on. With big companies like this, they cannot make, it's moving the Titanic. You can't make sharp turns. You have to do it in little degrees, (laughs) little, little turns until eventually you're turning right and nobody paid attention. And when you're Disney, those turns honestly have to be microscopic. But if you watch them, you can see. And so I I actually think they're going to get there. I hope all the Disney executives just heard exactly what you said. <laughs> I mean, I think they know this that. Is what we want. I mean, they know that already, dude. Like again, they're smarter people than me that put that into the game plan before they acquired Fox. So like this is just what's interesting with the internet is y'all like the internet in general and I include me, I shouldn't say y'all. We want it now. Companies don't work that way. It takes 50 meetings just to plan lunch. Like yeah. y'all need to understand that like organization and like moving quickly is actually bad for business. And why does it take 50 meetings to plan for lunch? Because all y'all are on Slack making gifts (laughs) and trying to make each other laugh instead of getting actual work done. I contend to this day, Slack is actually bad for business. Different conversation. I love that you pointed out Nat Geo being available on Disney Plus because if y'all think that Kingpin squishing a guy's head is is too much for the kids, go put on Nat Geo. It's nothing but lion genitalia all day long. Lions don't look like they do in Lion King. (laughs) You're just seeing full-on male lion stuff hanging out. When you watch Nat Geo. So if you can't handle that, you definitely can't handle whatever Kingpin is going to be bringing to the table. I Am I the only one? Because I know that there was like a big stink about, oh, I don't know about the tone of this show and the effects don't look finished. I can't stand that argument when you see a trailer on your phone. But She-Hulk, I really like the tone of that show. Am I the only one? Am I on She-Hulk Island by myself? I think that's going to be a lot of fun and I can't wait to see that. I'm a little bit skeptical on that one. I just... 
First of all, every creative decision they've made about this show, besides the casting of Tatiana, or is it, is that how you say your Tatiana? Tatiana Mazzani. Yeah, yeah, Tatiana, uh, has been questionable. I really question the creative team around this one, and I don't mean to be misogynistic around it. It's not the first female showrunner we've had in this universe. We've had Falcon and the Winter Soldier had a female director. Yep. You know, like it's not that case. But that show does seems to have some inherent issues with the understanding of what She-Hulk the character is going to mean based on what I have seen. So I, I'm okay to be surprised, but if there's one that I'm looking out for to be like, this is probably not going to work. I am absolutely circling that one with a big bullseye. Okay, Matt, break the tie. Do we have some anticipation or more apprehension for She-Hulk? Yeah, I'm excited for She-Hulk. And one of the reasons I'm really excited for She-Hulk is that it's finally breaking the six-episode model that we've <laughs> been going through since WandaVision. I, I'm pretty sure every fan on this earth has said that we want more than six episodes from these shows. And She-Hulk is going to have nine episodes and... I love the. I just loved all the vibes that first trailer gave us. The CGI again. They still have a couple of months to tidy up on that CGI. I hope it. I hope it improves. But uh, yeah, I just. I love the vibe that that trailer gave us. I'm super excited for Shio Comic. I'm excited that we're gonna have nine episodes to really dive deep into this character to see her go on all these different adventures. To you know, this was a series that Kevin Feige teed up. Will have like because she's a lawyer for superheroes. There's a chance that we could see other familiar faces. So I think there's a lot to be excited about. We also got Professor Hulk. Tim Roth has the abomination. Wong is going to be in this. I'm excited. I just want to see what it's like to be She-Hulk on the dating scene in a big city. Because we got hints of that with the trailer. And that's really what I want to focus on. It's going to be fun having Ruffalo in there, her cousin, pop in, teaching her how, you know, it ain't easy being green. But I just kind of want to see what it's like for somebody who has that that ability where if your heart rate gets too up, you know, stuff happens. I, I kind of am excited to see how that factors into one. And that is exactly life. what I don't like about this because the She-Hulk character from the comics, like it's not like dating wasn't an aspect of her rage monster, but they're already just centering it in such a like weird woman way. Again, I'm just going to go ahead and tell y'all, I do not think this, this show is going to play well. That is my, it seems like it's a show that was written by women made for what they think men want. And I'm just very thinking that is not going to work. Mm, just let okay. me put that out there. I see where you're I see where I'm you're like, going. I'm like, I just, yeah. I don't think this is going to work. Maybe I'm judging the material. And it's not based on the things that normal people are bitching about. Like the acting, I think is going to be great. I think that the CGI will definitely get worked out. I think there are some fundamental issues with the creative decisions around how they are presenting the character of She-Hulk, who had a very different vibe in the comics that I read than this. Like just the fact that romance is such a central part of who she is. She is more like Matt Murdock. Mm-hmm. Way more like Matt Murdock. And there's a darkness to this that Not seems to be... Not the biggest romantic I've ever yeah, met. Yeah, like it Matt seems Murdock. like they wanted to make... Like imagine a comic book character that you read more like Matt Murdock and they're turning her into Bridget Jones on screen. Yeah, I, I don't want this thing to be sex in the city, you know, and featuring She-Hulk. Seems to be kind of what they're writing. I, I just kind of like that we get to experience a more mundane aspects of a superhero's life where it isn't all just work saving the world. You know, True. how do you just do your day to day? There's a great commercial and I can't remember what it was even for. But it might have been like a Geico, but it just shows this like superhero-ish kind of character that looks kind of like a Spider-Man or a kick-ass. And in between fighting crime, just a dude in his one-bedroom apartment heating up a microwave meal, and that's like it. It's like your life is so boring when you're not saving the world. So what else do you do to fill the time? You know, yeah. that's 
that sort of thing. Well, we, we've actually done a pretty good job of filling this hour in uh, talking about MCU shows and streaming shows. So I'll give the final word here to, uh, to Matt Soups, Matt Ramos, um, just about MCU in general when it comes to television. We talked about you're most looking forward to what they do with Daredevil, but there's a lot of other exciting stuff on the horizon. If I'm just a regular person on the street and I'm one of your fans, I come up to you and I say, hey, I love the movies. Why do I need to check out these shows? What would just be your sort of blanket statement that you would say to them? My blanket statement to them is that this is still very much a part of the MCU. You know, to to not go into Multiverse of Madness having not watched WandaVision, you're going to be lost. And with a lot of these newer Disney Plus shows introducing new characters like Kamala Khan, we're going to meet her. We're, we're, we're not going to meet her. We're going to see her in the Marvels. Getting that backstory and learning to, I guess, dive deep and growing to love these characters in their own series is going to add to your experience when you see them again on the big screen. It was just announced a week ago that we're getting a Thunderbolts movie and there's rumors that we're going to see John Walker, Bucky in that. So having seen the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I'm infinitely more excited to see those characters again in that movie. So I would say that the the Disney Plus shows are are very important in keeping us busy until we get to, to those big events, like you guys said, once we get back in theaters to witness another great Marvel movie. Said by a, a, a great fan and who's cultivated a great career out of the uh, world of entertainment and hosting and particularly talking about fun stuff like the world of comic books and how they're adapted into film and television. Or you can be like Jacqueline and sometimes me and you can just watch the YouTube recap for 10 minutes and then head on into Multiverse of Madness or Thor Love and Thunder, whatever the next big movie is, too. That's also a fair way to go. But I, I think that you'll be rewarded the more you investigate into these shows, even though I have my bones to pick with the MCU uh, the, the multiverse, I should say, in time bending. You know, it's still pretty fun to see Loki as an alligator. So uh, that is going to do it for our TV talk today. Let's transition right on over to Mailbag. Hit the music, Brian. And thanks again for that invite to the Dodger game. Uh, man, man, need a good Dodger dog and a Bruce game in my life. So what I do have for everyone is... Ketchup crew member Donald Rogers today chiming in. Y'all can be like Donald Rogers and email us anytime. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. Tell us how you're feeling about our particular movie or show and what you want us to discuss about it. Donald Rogers says, Dear Jacqueline, Mark, Producey Lucy, Tim, Brian, and esteemed guest, Matt Soups in this case. First, thank you for reading my email recommending Closer. Closer, I should say. The Julia Roberts, Clive Owen pick. I am writing once again to recommend another movie, Ty West's X. I hate it, period. <laughs> Let's talk pros because I'm polite. The cinematography <laughs> was cool, I guess, and the kills were mostly LOL, and I sincerely appreciated the mostly nude dad bod. Okay, cons. <laughs> wow, that movie was an ageist AF. Maybe I don't know film, I just learned about exploitation, and maybe I'm sensitive in my gay old age of 36, but, like, has Ty West spent time with the elderly? Did Ty West really think some viewers would buy that an elderly woman would go on a killing spree because she can't Netflix and chill? I'm just very confused at how this movie is certified fresh at 95%. It was 97% when I saw it at the time of its premiere. Jacqueline and Mark, my therapist says my feelings are valid, but please validate my feelings about this movie. Much love, Donald. Jacqueline, you, uh, you, are you pro or con X? This is what's so great about it. I'm going to tell you first. But first, I have to say, I need to give because he said my gay old age. So I'm going to assume that you are referencing that this is your month, sir, and that this is that you are, in fact, a member of the LGBTQIA, whatever, because mm -hmm. the way you need to say it is period, period. Uh, 
Because uh, he put the T on the end and it's like, uh, period. I like you have you. to put that like there because I want to make sure that, yeah, period. I'm I hate learning. it. There, I'm progressing. We got it. Uh, I have seen Ty West's ex. I don't hate it. But I do know that there is vitriol against it. <laughs> and I it's, do I want mean, to validate your feelings. And the one thing I would tell meter. you is all movies about feelings, all feelings about movies are valid, sir. That's why we have this podcast. So let me add to that with your therapist. Also, keep writing us letters, Donald. You're fabulous. We do love Donald. And uh, thank you for recommending uh, Closer, by the way, too. That's a movie we got to get on this show sooner rather than later. It was great. I, I still can't believe we haven't had Soups on the show before. Uh, Matt Ramos is uh, it, by, by day Soups by night on the interwebs. It's been an absolute joy seeing you and chatting with you once again about this stuff. Where is like your central hub that you want to refer everybody to who's listening, who's watching this show? They want to check more soup stuff out. Where should they go? So guys, I am all over social media. Soups on YouTube, soups on TikTok, the real soups on Twitter, the real soups on Instagram. We're still working out that username situation. But <laughs> it, again, if you guys want to keep up with everything up to, if you guys want to stay up to date with everything going on in the world of pop culture, make sure to check your boy out and we'll have some fun. So it's like soups it. and then occasionally you just got to distinguish the fact that you are in fact the real soups because the real one. There's a lot of imposters out there on Twitter. That is at the real soups on Twitter. And uh, our 100th episode is coming up. I, I can't believe that we are getting into our elderly years now, but 100 episodes, that's kind of the benchmark for a podcast. So I guess we did something right. And we would love for you, all of our esteemed members of the Ketchup crew, to film, uh, r record yourself. It can just be like 30 seconds, 15 seconds, whatever y'all want. Uh, tell us about a movie that you think Rotten Tomatoes got wrong. There's the book, uh, you know, Rotten Movies We Love. What did Rotten Tomatoes get wrong in your world? Was it A Man on Fire? Was it a Step Brothers? Was it a Double Impact? starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, which is like 35% for some awful reason. Uh, let us know your picks, and it might make our 100th episode celebration show. So we want to showcase you, the fans who've made this podcast possible. Thanks for sticking with us into our long day's journey in tonight. Uh, like I said, you can email us anytime. For those videos and for mailbag, RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. Subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Jacqueline, Comic-Con is right around the corner, and I do have my annual stand-up show at American Comedy Company down there. You can get tickets at MarkEllis.live. Me, a lot of special guests telling jokes, so it's going to be a good time right in the Gaslamp District. Do you, uh, you doing the Comic-Con this year? If somebody hires me, but I don't think we're covering it for Rotten Tomatoes. So I'm actually going to enjoy not getting on a sweaty train with a bunch of entertainment journalists. You're going to miss me. I will miss you. But You're this is miss the thing. Out. I'm positive I'm not going to Comic-Con, which means I'll probably be going to Comic-Con because somebody's going to call me and be like, oh, hey, we want you to come down for this thing or whatever. Like Rotten Tomatoes would be like last minute. Actually, just kidding. We're going to go. So if I am, I will be there, sir. I, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll book a suite. That way you have a sofa couch to sleep on just in case you Thank want to you. last minute it. Uh, Thank you. Well, that is going to do it for us here today on Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong for our special guest, Matt Soups. That's Matt Rombos, Jacqueline Coley, my esteemed co-host, Brian Perez, Producy, Lucy, Tim Ryan, the whole crew behind the scenes here at Rotten Tomatoes. I am merely Mark Ellis saying thank you, good night, good luck, and just stop bending time. <laughs> <laughs>